This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two wonderful human beings, Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Paul Jaisley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk to both of you because you know what? After this week, I'm gone for three weeks because I'm going to be in Japan and traveling. And I didn't think that I get back like in two weeks, but I didn't think that the Sunday I get back, I would actually be a functional human being to be on the no. show. So, Paul, this magnificent person is taking over. You know, you're you're going to be running the show for a bit. I think actually mm-hmm. Brian or somebody's going to be running it for the Goodreads episode, but I'm going to be gone for three weeks. So, this is my last episode before I turn 31. This oh. is the last episode before I go to Japan. It's wow. a, it's This is like a monumental thing in my brain for some reason. So, I'm so glad to be here with the both of you today. It's, it's an honor. Your life is such a whirlwind, Mike. Yeah, it's my honor to be here, Mike. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, let's get into it. Let's let's talk about comic books that we're excited about um, that that we have been reading. Uh, Let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kara. Okay, so I don't know how familiar you guys are with She-Ra, the character. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm, I've I'm seen familiar. like a handful of episodes of the new Netflix series. Okay. So for our listeners who are not aware, uh, cast your mind back to the 80s where everything was super toyetic and it could, if it could be made into toys, it was a cartoon aimed at children. And oh, yeah. if you're familiar with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, just like super, super brawny fantasy stuff completely to make toys, the quote unquote girl version of that was She-Ra princess of power and i only knew about this when it was like in college and i was on 80stees.com way too often but not actually buying anything (laughs) this was my exposure to she-ra because that's not my generation but uh there is the netflix series she-ra and the princesses of power which i like way too belatedly found out was basically the brainchild of noelle stevenson which how was I not watching this before? I love her work. Yeah. Um, her comic Nimona is phenomenal. Um, I will never stop talking about her like one shot in that short lived Wonder Woman series sensation comics where she mm-hmm. had young Diana like emerging from the ocean and just like going to the arcade on the boardwalk and beating up some bullies. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I am as of uh, this week caught up on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. There are three seasons and my eyes are still puffy from the tears because the end <laughs> of season three is so emotional and I wasn't expecting this from H. It's 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 directed towards kids. Like, I needed this show in my life when I was about 10 but it doesn't talk down and there's so much nuance like the the bad dude, Hordak, like by season three he becomes kind of sympathetic in a Severus Snape kind of way where you kind of want him to find true love, but you also recognize he's a dick. And I had a really uncomfortable moment in this one episode where his like exoskeleton armor is stripped away and he's literally and emotionally vulnerable to like one of the girl characters who's trying to help fix him. And I'm like, this is terrible and I love it. 
and I'm finding him attractive and uncomfortable with this because I recognize he's a murderer. Is this why I like Anakin Skywalker? I'm so confused. I have so many problems. Anyway, so this is my life right now is getting like way too emotional over She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Highly recommend. Um, That's awesome. I, I, I watched the first like three episodes of that. I really enjoyed what I watched, but just... I only have so much time in my life for TV. I Plus, know. Kelly and I are watching it together, so I didn't want to watch it without her yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's I'm good to saying, hear that it gets really, really good. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Um, in terms of comics, uh, the last time I was on this show, y'all mentioned Super Mutant Magic Academy by Jillian mm-hmm. Tamaki. And I read it, and I think I heard the part where it was basically like sort of x men sort of Harry Pottery, and that was enough for me. But I didn't quite grasp that it was sort of in the philosophical comic strip vein of Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. I got hmm. I got that vibe hugely because it's it's there's there's sort of a sequence to the events but most of it is these disconnected one shots but all of them are like kind of profound even if they're in really superficial ways and mm-hmm. there's so many pages in this book that just blew my mind and so probably I shouldn't have been reading it after crying at the end of season three of Shira, but there I was, and so now I'm just like in this weird cosmic zone of who are we? What are we doing here? Is reality what we think it is? And it's all because of this book. So thanks for the wreck. I can co-sign this. Yes, that that book it floors me. Like it, I I want to just every once in a while I pick it up and just kind of flip to a random strip because that's like the best part about it is it's just a series of like single or one or two page strips and man it's so fantastic just little jokes all over the place and people being kind of rude because everyone's teenagers but also it's really really wholesome like characters very much care about each other like this whole circle of friends in the book it's it's so fantastic yeah my favorite characters are definitely francis who's like the deadpan artist girl who puts everything into her art Mm -hmm. and you want to laugh at her for being an intense caricature but you can't because she's doing like real shit like she's doing the art and like I can't help but respect her I get Lucy vibes off of her like Lucy from Peanuts even though their yeah. characters are different um, and the other character I like is the everlasting boy and he never really interacts with other people except for like kind of towards the end where there's a quest thing that he intercedes on but you basically just see all these strips of him being eternal and him like just constantly dying and being reborn and you got to figure that's got to be kind of rough like it's like the edward cullen thing in twilight where you're like man you've been a teenager for like a hundred years that must suck but this (laughs) this kid has been a teenager for centuries if not millennia Mm -hmm. and has to die and like decompose in order to recompose and i'm just like man are you okay do you need a hug? An ice cream cone? Can we help? All of these things. He needs all of them. Oh, that sounds... I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I'm very glad that you enjoyed it. Um, Paul, I'm going to just throw that out there. Pick it up on Hoopla or something, man. It's very fun. I did a few times pick it up at when I was at the library and, library and flipped through it, but I never actually checked it out. So you've, you've convinced me to go back and grab it. So yes. 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 Nice. Paul, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, I've been doing great, Mike. Uh, we're in that nice uh, part in Michigan weather where it's we're actually getting autumn for a couple weeks before you know it becomes a desolate winter wasteland. So I'm mm-hmm. enjoying that. I mm-hmm. like the fact I have to put on a sweater before I go on my morning walks with my dog Phyllis. That's actually I, I really enjoy that this time of year. 
So awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I know it's funny cause that's happening and I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, boy, I really have to go get my snowblower fixed. So I, I'm already preparing for <laughs> the snow apocalypse. So anyway, um, in terms of comics, um, comics have been pretty good for the most part. Um, I went down a nostalgic path recently and, um, I was at my local shop flipping through the dollar bin and I found the five issues of Zero Hour, The Crisis in Time, the miniseries that DC did back in 1994 for their big crossover event that year. I bought these when they came out. So summer of 94, I was about 12 years old, mm-hmm. uh, going to the local comic shop regularly at that time. I remember buying these five issues of Zero Hour and I read them, but I literally could not remember anything about them. <laughs> so when I saw them in the dollar bin, I decided to gamble my five bucks, pick them up. And um, yeah, it wasn't very good. <laughs> There's a reason <laughs> I didn't remember it. Um, I, um, yeah. I just remember that. Like, I don't think I actually read that event, but DC referenced it almost constantly for the next, what, 20 years, 30 years? Yeah. It's so weird because it's the crisis in time. So it's clearly they're referencing, you know, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, which is a, you know, a groundbreaking series. It's it's kind of hit or miss, but it's culturally and historically important, I guess, for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but Zero Hour literally changes nothing. Like, it's the most nothing event. So the fact that they try to make it seem important by calling it a crisis... Um, it's pretty funny. The one thing I do remember about this, uh, again, it's 1994, so it's a five-issue miniseries, but it's numbered 43210. So uh. the first issue is issue four, and issue five is issue zero. Um, <laughs> Comic collectors just all pulling their hair out, trying to figure <laughs> right. out like what's the actual order here, because databases are going crazy. This is number four, but it's actually number <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. And then and then um, that month, they did every title they published had a zero issue, which basically introduced the new status quo. So I remember buying a bunch of those uh, at the same time. Um Anyway, it's by Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway, who are, I mean, they're like journeyman creators. They've been around the business forever. They were running the Superman books at around the same time. So I read a ton of their books. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, the thing is, like, it's not, it's not objectively bad. You know, it's just boring. And I think that's even more offensive to me. How do you make a superhero comic boring? Right. right? That, right. that seems worse than a bad superhero comic. So, um, yeah, I mean, as spoilers for a 25-year-old comic, it turns out that the mastermind behind the whole crisis in time was the evil Hal Jordan, a.k.a. <gasps> Parallax, who destroyed time and then rebuilt the universe. Uh, I don't does. know. It's very confusing. And um, some reason for some reason, I was compelled to read all five issues. I'm not sure why, but I did. So, <laughs> Ooh, Since you did, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is this where Lady Blackhawk is reintroduced? Um, no, I didn't see her in this mini at all. It could have been, you know, part of the event, of those... the crossover book. Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel I like don't... that's where she came in. Cause I remember reading Birds of Prey when Gail Simone was doing it yeah. like 10 years ago and loving the character of Lady Blackhawk and being like, where did you come from? You're like literally from the forties. And I think I read somewhere she like reappeared in the dcu during zero hour and that's how okay. she became like time displaced from world war ii that mm, makes but, sense because they're yeah. they're that's kind of how they they realign a bunch of stuff they have the justice society of america show up in this and you know they get re-aged since they had been de-aged so now they're also they're 80 years old instead of 40 years old and then some of them die but whatever uh <laughs> i don't know it's uh it was just funny rereading it because i was like i don't remember any of this and i realized why and um, 
it's an example of joyless superhero comics, which I find so much more offensive than bad superhero comics. So anyway, interesting. It, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a, let me do this. You're warning against nostalgia, right? Nostalgia isn't the path to go down very often. Um, on the other hand, I read Legion of Superheroes Millennium number two. This is the second of the two issue mini that uh, Brian Michael Bendis is doing to relaunch the Legion of Superheroes. I was pretty critical of the first issue a few weeks ago on this podcast. I thought it was pretty underwhelming. I'm here to say that issue two was fantastic and I loved it. So, um, again, the gimmick here is that uh, Brian Michael Bendis has taken a D-list DC character, uh, Rose Forrester, uh, a.k.a. Rose and Thorn. She has like a split personality. Uh, Thorn is the evil version, obviously. Rose is the nice version. If you didn't yeah. catch that. Uh, I think, yeah, I got, like that. I, got, I got there. <laughs> um, turns out she's immortal. So basically getting her firsthand perspective of traveling basically through time to the, you know, through the various future iterations of the DC universe. In this issue, she goes to the 25th century. Well, I mean, she doesn't go there. She lives through the 25th century. She visits the space museum, runs into a security guard who, of course, uh, attentive readers will recognize as Michael Carter, who worked at the Space Museum in the 25th century, stole a time machine, came back to the 20th century, and became Booster Gold. Um, and then uh, after that section, she go, runs into OMAC. So anytime you have a comic that you have Booster Gold and OMAC showing OMAC. up, I'm on board, right? Um, what's great is that they have different artists for each section. So uh, Nicola Scott does the Space Museum section, and then Jim Cheng does the OMAC section, and it, he starts his section with an homage to that double-page spread from OMAC number one, right? Where OMAC is just yelling, I am OMAC, evacuate the section, I'm going to destroy it. It's the best. That's I awesome. loved it. Um, and then eventually, by the end of the book, she meets up um, with the Legion of Superheroes in the 31st century. So it's a, it's a cool cliffhanger leading into the ongoing Legion uh, series that Brian Michael Bendis is going to do with Ryan Souk uh, that's starting next month. The idea that, you know, in the 31st century, here's a character, Rose Forrester, who kind of remembers everything from the 20th century on, could kind of like bring a message to the Legion of Superheroes. It's a cool way to kind of tie the whole various futures of the DC Universe together into one whole. So I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. This is a counterexample. This isn't just joyless superhero comics. This is a lot of fun. Brian Michael Bendis clearly loves writing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on board for the new Legion of Superheroes book. I never thought I'd say that. Much like the X-Men. I never thought I'd get into the Legion of Superheroes, but here we are. I'm hooked. Cue uh, Bob Dylan's Times Are Changing. And, uh... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, for me, I've, I've been doing all right. I actually sat down with Tia on Thursday and recorded like a what we're calling a microsode about the Wicked and Divine after party or w- Wicked and Divine Wake, where we kind of just talked about the night and how fantastic it was. It's going to go up on the Patreon uh, this weekend. So like probably before this episode is even out, it's going to be up on Patreon. But, you know, so if you're not on Patreon, you can get that. But uh, otherwise, um, yeah, I've just been been chilling, prepping to go to Japan and reading some comic books. I sat down and read Strayed number two and three, um, just really quick. I, I got a copy of issue three before it comes out this week from uh, Carlos Cafoni. And uh, this book is really fun. If you haven't checked it out, it's from Dark Horse. Uh, the art's by Wando. It's lettered by Matt Kreutzer. And all I can say is it's a kitty in space. 
It's a cat going, you know, <laughs> oh. flying through space, trying to find this these this alien race that can help the human race potentially like live forever, or at least that's what the nefarious overlord of the human race right now is saying to our main character. Uh, it's it's got a little bit of a sad twinge going on to it. I I'm waiting for the shoe to fall, um, and and be real sad. But otherwise, it's it's a real fun book, and it's the art in this book is fucking incredible. I just want to say that if you just go to your shop, pick this up, the art is stupendous check out the previews on comiXology or something it's it's amazing but the book i I really want to talk about is no one left to fight numbers one through three this is by aubrey sitterson on writing with fico osseo on art and art by i'm gonna butcher these names uh or this name raciel avilia something i i'm i'm sorry I'm, i'm trying but uh the the subtitle to this book on the cover of every every issue is the comic you always wanted (laughs) <laughs> Which, like, okay, cool. And I, I remember seeing Aubrey Citizen talk about this, like, in his newsletter um, and on Facebook and stuff. And I, I saw a handful of posts about it. I was like, oh, this looks really cool. And I picked up all the issues. Um, or it picked up one through three, I should say. And the story is essentially, what if all of the cool, badass characters from your favorite anime and cartoon shows grew up? And it's been 10 years since they saved the world. What does that world look like? Um, what do those characters look like? Like, it's not like a weird, bleak, dystopian future. Instead, it's, you know, they everyone has cool outfits and, like, headbands and they're, you know, they carry guns and everything about them looks really action figure and super anime, but they're now 10 years older and they've come back together for a reason that we really actually don't know yet. Like, our main character, his name is Vale. He meets up with his old, I guess co-fighters in the saving of the world Timor and Krista the two of them they're married and they have kids and they have to go on some trip to somewhere we don't really know what the answer is to that and something is wrong with Vale he's not explaining it to anybody he's having these weird flashbacks or flash forwards of potential futures and as the story goes on we start to get a little bit more detail about the world about what Vale did to save the world the villain that he fought and this is like it's a book that hits on a lot of like anime things where if you liked any kind of like super action packed fighting story and then you had to like take a step back and flash forward at 10 years, you get a lot of the like fallout of the 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 drama between characters, you know, lost loves or missed connections between people and the art in this book is fucking stupendous it's by far the most colorful book on the stands right now and we have the weatherman which is out there and that book's really bright and colorful christian ward is out there making books this book is like the most neon badass looking book you can buy um and the it's just it's super detailed i don't know how fico Asio does this book because there's no way you can make this a month on month to month like timeline so um, if, if you haven't had a chance to check this out, I really, really recommend No One Left to Fight. It's it's so over the top and but very like full of heart. Like the characters, you really, really feel for them. There's a lot of really tropey, you know, um, I guess drama moments where you know our main character Vale is in love with his former frenemy slash rival Timur, who's now married to Krista, and it's it's a whole thing. So. Uh, maybe I, I think I said that wrong. Vale is in love with Krista, who is Timor's wife, and it's it's a whole thing. It's fantastic, and we meet <laughs> some other Jesse's characters. Girl thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, I mean, we meet like another char- person they used to spar or you know fight alongside of, and then we meet Vale's old master, and we meet like all these different things. It's it's a really really well done book that uh, totally nails the cover subtitle of the comic book you always wanted because it very much feels like 
the the next step in a story that you didn't read the first part of um but the, you don't you never feel super out of the story because they they do a really good job of filling you in throughout it so i really recommend this book i i've been sitting on it for a bit and i was very pleasantly surprised at how like easy of a read it was despite the obvious huge story that this world exists in um you really really are able to understand the characters well and then get little tidbits of the actual background of each of the characters as the story goes on so i'd recommend it if you're looking for just something that's way over the top like the art itself will blind you like i was reading it in the dark and i was just like oh god there's so many pinks and greens and yellows like it's it's awesome you sold me mike I mean, once again, <laughs> try it, try it. I yeah. don't know. I don't think it will be for everybody. Like Aubrey Sitterson, I think also did a book about wrestling um, yeah. last year. Um, mm-hmm. And he's done a bunch of other stuff. He's been very outspoken against Comicsgate, which has gotten him like kind of a weird rep of being just incredibly outspoken. Um, but I think he's he's a fantastic writer. So I, I really would recommend this. Just check out the first issue. And I, if you like that, you're going to love issues two and three for sure. Got it. But let's move on. Let's talk about the comics we're actually excited about this upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on October 16, 2019. What are you both excited for this week? Let's start with you, Paul. I'm excited for Superman Smashes the Clan, number one. I th- think this is two issues, two or three issue miniseries that uh, Jean Luen uh, Yang is writing for DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got art by the collective of Guri Hiru, a Japanese team that does art. Um, and uh, basically, I don't know what else to say besides the title alone should, should sell you. It's Superman fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Who doesn't want to see that? Um, I'm here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's Same. Essentially, basically, it's based on a Superman radio serial they did back in the late 40s uh, called Clan of the Fiery Cross. And that was inspired by uh, the leftist activist... Um, I'm blank, Stetson Kennedy, who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, and uh, the creators of the Superman radio program used a lot of like his research to make a show where Superman fought. It wasn't explicitly called the Ku Klux Klan, but it had enough of references to it that right. um, you know folks could pick up on the references there. So the white hooded uh, G- men out in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not that that's not that subtle, but. Um, so Gene Yang is kind of updating that story. Uh, it's set in the 40s. Uh, the artwork you've seen the, in the promo images, it's the same outfit that Superman wears in those like uh, Max Fleischer cartoons from the 40s. You know, very like stylized look. It looks great. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about a Japanese American, uh, sorry, a Chinese American family that lives in Metropolis. They're getting hassled by the Klan. Uh, one of their uh, kids ends up getting kidnapped and Superman uh, teams up with them to kind of fight the Klan. So again, I'm... In my personal life, I like to consider myself a pacifist. I, I kind of abhor violence. But if you're going to make a comic book that's just Superman punching clan goons in the face for 20 pages, sold. You know what I mean? Like that's Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me that. So I'm, I'm very excited for this book. I, as soon as it was announced, I was excited for it. And it's uh, coming out next week. So I'm nice. here for it. Nice. Kara, yeah. what about you? What are you excited for? Mm, Revenger, the Halloween special. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay, so I don't know if y'all are familiar with the Revenger series. Um, Charles Forsman does, I think, the entire thing himself, like drawing covers, inks, everything. And it's kind of like... Um, I'm getting like 80s indie vibes style-wise or mm-hmm. like 80s indie update vibes like books like Copra or mm-hmm. um, early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where it's like kind of sketchy and gritty but the motion 
telegraphs really well. Anyway, so Revenger is um, basically like Grace Jones if Grace Jones was a, a, a like vigilante assassin for hire kind of situation where if you want revenge on someone, you can hire her and she's the revenger mm-hmm. and we'll get revenge <laughs> for you. <laughs> There's lots of violence. It's super, like, much like Paul, I, I'm not a fan of violence, but I'm a fan <laughs> of Revenger because it's a really, really solid book. And mm-hmm. I'm so excited there's a Halloween special coming out this week. The solicit basically implies that Revenger will be fighting a vampire. And I think that's something that anyone can get behind. Oh, <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I remember, I think I read the first three issues of Revenger back when it first came out. And one of those books I've always been meaning to go back and revisit. So thanks for reminding me about it. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I love that Charles Forsman does like the real like moody stuff like... Um, I'm not okay with this or the end of the fucking world. And then he does these hyper-violent revenge comics. Like, it's two extremes. <laughs> it's it's great. Did you... I didn't know that End of the Fucking World is a Netflix series now. Yeah. yeah. I, like, totally missed that. And then I was looking at his Twitter to, like, double-check the release date for Revenger. And there's all this End of the Fucking World stuff. And I'm like, well, good for you. Yeah. Good for yeah. you, Charles. Yeah, dude's doing okay, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it must be. But, yeah, Revenger Halloween special. Get on that. Very cool. Well, for me this week, I am excited uh, just, you know, play the very sad horn um x-men number one uh this is a jonathan hickman with lennel francis you uh all i could say is after the end of powers of x number six like come the fuck on hickman come the fuck on my dude uh yeah i i can't not read this book like it's it's obvious that i'm gonna pick it up but also given everything that was said and done in, in reflection from House of X to Powers of X, uh, number six for both series, I just want to fucking fall down and cry for a month because Aww. holy shit, man. I I, I don't want to spoil it. Really, everybody out there should go and read House of X and Powers of X because it is it is the most X-Men thing ever in like the best of ways. Like, you, you know, the, the most X-Men thing ever would be like, oh no, and then Mojo showed up, but it turns out he has the brain of Charles Xavier from another dimension. Like, that would be the most X-Men thing ever. But instead, it's it's an ending that is so fitting for the X-Men, I should have seen it coming 10 miles away, and yet I didn't. So, to jump into X-Men number one, I, I really want to see what Hickman's going to do with this book. Holy smokes. Paul, did you get a chance to read Powers of X number six? Not yet. Not yet. I, I'm okay. actually planning on running down to my comic shop as soon as we're done recording to buy it. It's kind of awesome. been, been to the shop yet this week. So I'm very excited. I've, I'm stunned how much I'm enjoying this stuff. Again, as an X-Men newbie, so more or less, you know, the fact that Hickman's been able to do something that is pleasing hardcore longtime fans and someone like me is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, dude. I I, yeah. I honestly would love to have like a like a do a a, a mini sode or something just to pick your brain about where you're sitting with the X Men um, sure. coming off of House of X and Powers of X. But uh, we'll 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 figure that out another time. But yeah. man, I'm excited for X Men number one. I'm really excited for all the X books that are coming out. But X Men number one starting things off is going to be it's going to lead into a pretty honest or pretty solid 
winter as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like this is the only thing that's going to keep me waking up every day and going to work because like I know that X-Men's coming out and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I'm sure your wife would like to hear that. That's the only thing keeping you going is the uh, X-Men. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh she's she's not staring at me with the stink. I know it's it's fine. <laughs> But, you know, we're going to actually take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about comic book letters pages and what it means to be in communication with comic book creators through the slowest way possible, um, as well as what goes on in the back of a book after you finish the comic. So we're going to talk about all that in just a moment. For our show this week, we are talking about comic book letters pages. It's a very, very niche topic because I know that a lot of people out there don't necessarily read single issues and this kind of thing like the letters page really only ever shows up in single issue comics. So if you have never read a single issue comic, I'm very, very sorry that we're going to alienate you for a little bit to talk about something that is very specific to single issue comics, but it is a crucial part of the comic books industry as far as I'm concerned because it allows people to talk to comic book creators in a public space, which is kind of mind-boggling. But I know we had, we were kind of talking about this before. Before the show started and I know Kara and Paul you had some different thoughts but Kara I wanted to toss this over to you because we were talking about like the slow back and forth between you know the comic book and then the letter getting to somebody like snail mail is still insane that people still do it but um yeah I don't know what do you guys think about comic book letter pages <laughs> okay so let's just open that can of worms up right now yeah so like you said the comic book letters page is a super niche topic because it is a super niche thing the letters page for uh, single issue comic books has always been a place where the creators of the book can build a community and a rapport with their fans and Mm -hmm. i think that since we on this podcast strive to create a community space for comic fans it's appropriate for us to talk about this because the whole point of the letters page is building community and um not even just between fans and creators but between fans themselves um a recent example that comes to mind is the letters page for bitch planet and uh bitch planet of course being the the comic where women who are deemed non-compliant get sent to a prison world and they're branded with this NC for non-compliant um, marker to show that they have disrupted society's expectations of them. So the letters page for Bitch Planet was flooded with pictures of women who had been so inspired by this book that they went out and got the non-compliant tattoo and so that was a way for everyone who was reading the book to see oh other people are also strongly affected by this book because uh so a few minutes ago you said well this is a way for people to uh interact with creators in a public space and uh listeners might be thinking well mike there's twitter for that now why do we need a letters page but with the letters page you have like a focused forum that you know the audience that is buying the book every month is going to see that whereas on twitter like you know sure you could go and stalk and stalk a creator page and look at their tweets and replies and try to like figure out what's happening but there's more of a defined narrative 
on the letters yeah. page itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I kind of wanted to focus on this is because I think it's something that's slightly gone to the wayside over the years, right? It's it's something that, you know, I think is was crucial back in, the, you know, the 60s and 70s and 80s to say, you know, I don't have any other way to say how much I like this comic or to ask some arbitrary question to this comic book creator or the editors or whatever of this book, you know, to say, you know, what, ha- you know, Spider-Man on page nine of issue 647 did this, you know, that that's that was for the longest time the only forum before something like Twitter or even, you know, comic book forums um, like the mm-hmm. Warren Ellis message board, for instance, um, came into being. So there was wasn't a really good way to actually pick the brain of these creators or even just say, hey, I really love this book. You made me realize that I, too, could be a blind lawyer, you know, something like that. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that it still exists to this day because it is like we do have Twitter or we do have comic like more prevalent comic conventions or like live Q and A's that people do on Twitch or YouTube or whatever. Um, but still to this day we see books that have letters pages and I think maybe it's the reason why it still exists. I have kind of my own thoughts, but um, I was curious to know what you guys thought about it or if you still read letters pages uh, for the books that have them because I know that not all of them have letters pages, especially at like the big two. Um, I don't even know yeah. if dc does letters pages anymore i can't pi- picture any book dc does that has a letters page that i'm reading at least and i'm mm-hmm. trying to the only i mean i don't read many marvel books to begin with but the only the only big two book i can imagine has a, having a letter page is immortal hulk of the books i'm reading mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. which i love because i the lead up to that book uh before the first issue even came out was Al Ewing posting stuff on Twitter, like his notes, basically, these are the things I'm researching for this book. So it generated an excitement about what the book was going to be. And then it it makes sense for that book to have a letters page because it's a complex book. It's a very different direction for the character. And it's Al Ewing, I think, is a, a creator who really enjoys having feedback and picking people's brains about stuff. So that... And uh, that said, I very rarely read any of the letters on the letters page. I don't know. It just It's not part of my uh, regular comic book uh, reading habit. You know, mm-hmm. I skim through it if something stands out. or if, I'm kind of more interested in the creator's response to the letters maybe than the letters themselves, you know. Yeah, because I get that. The other books I read that they're not traditional letters pages, but a book like Criminal, you know, there are any of the Ed Brubaker books, there are... It, you know, he'll write to the audience, like, here's what I'm into, here's what I'm watching, here's what I'm reading. You get a one-sided sort of account, and every once in a while he'll post, you know, a letter or an email he got from a reader. So it's a more curated form of a letters page, I guess. And I think that's more attuned yeah. to my reading habits than the traditional letters page. Gotcha. Marvel's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl ha- had has a letters page, and it's the most wholesome. There's, like, <laughs> oh, people yeah. send in pictures of their daughters wearing homemade squirrel girl costumes and people like write quirky letters about their love of squirrels and about the character <laughs> and it's it's one of the only letters pages that I think I've seen in the last decade that has been more all ages focused mm. um when I think of recent letters pages that I think are done well I think of uh, like any of the Brian K. Vaughn letters pages, yeah. um, any of <laughs> well, the, the Kieran Gillen letters pages, like because those are um, they do tend to start out kind of like p- what Paul was saying, where it's like, here was my thought process for this, and like mm-hmm. a little bit more behind the scenes, but then also getting into some fan feedback and sometimes responding to that 
in ways that uh, are just so interesting to see, like the the nah, R.I.P. the Wicked and the Divine. Like in those letters mm-hmm. pages, um, Karen Gillan would do like a whole page being like, "Okay, this issue just happened." I'm sorry, am I? Let's process together and then get into the letters page of like people's reactions. And sometimes he dropped little like hints in there. Um, so that was a way to feel like a part of the community, that community of people reading the book. Even if you weren't involved yeah. online, you could still read the letters page and feel like, ah, I'm not the only one. Yeah. 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 And I like that function of, I think I, letters pages, maybe because of, you know, we're reading comics now in the age of social media. And, you know, as a, someone who started reading comics in the nineties, like I kind of saw letters pages kind of fade away because around the time I was starting to read comics, there was a letters page, but also you had the rise of, you know, message boards and AOL chat rooms kind of taking the place of that stuff, you know, but I love in theory, the idea of the letters page creating a community or breaking down that distinction between the creator and the reader. And that goes all the way back to, you know, Stan Lee doing the Stan soapbox on every letters page back in the 60s. Like that yeah. was his attempt to say like my, he, Marvel didn't have the the capital or publishing um, a number of books that DC did. So the way that they were able to create an audience was doing that, saying like, hey, we have the the uh, soapbox, there's the, um, the bullpen, making the readers feel a connection to the creators and the characters in a way that was only mediated through a letters page. So, I mean, historically, I love the concept of letters page, even if in theory or in practice, I mean, even if in practice, I don't really read them, so... Hmm. That's really interesting because I, when I first started getting into single issue comics, right, um, mm-hmm. back when I was, you know, first going to a comic book shop and I was picking up, you know, single issue books for the first time, the two big books that I was picking up, you know, I was, you know, buying my Marvels and all that stuff, but I was, I bought Invincible and Walking Dead. And mm-hmm. those books have massive letters pages. They've always had massive letters, letters pages, you know. I know both of those books have ended, but while I was reading it, like, I would finish the issue and then I would spend another 20 or 30 minutes reading all the letters all the responses waiting for something you know to be you know responded to i mean to the point where i mean the book that i you know i wanted to talk about this because uh i'm proud that i wrote a letter and it got printed in a comic and i think it was astounding wolfman number 13 or 16 i I can't remember i have the issue somewhere and you know i wrote a letter to ask a question to robert kirkman like it was a very like super geeky like in, in the nitty gritty of the Kirkman universe, superhero universe thing. Um, and I asked the question and he responded like with a nice little paragraph. Cause, um, and it, I thought it was so interesting to, to actually participate in that community that I had been reading so vehemently for years um, to say, okay, I'm actually going to write a letter in and maybe it's going to get printed. Uh, now I, of course I didn't mail anything in. I said snail mail earlier. Of course I emailed them because that's <laughs> how you do these things these days. But yeah. unless you're Brian K Vaughn in which he only takes paper submitted things sent to his P.O. box, which I think is hilarious. Because, um, like, Saga still has it to this day. Paper Girls had it from the beginning of the run to the end, though there's a big question mark on the Paper Girls one on whether yeah. or not it's actually real. <laughs> but that that was the example I was going to bring up, because I thought that was such an ingenious use of the, the format of the letters page. Again, I would skim through it. I wouldn't read every letter, but just skimming through it, I had that that question. I was like, is this, are these legitimate letters, or is this this clever ruse? And that added such a uh, another layer to the comp- complexity of that book that I really loved. So yeah. For, yeah. for reader, for listen, for readers, for listeners who are not familiar with Paper Girls, what was so different about the Paper Girls letter page? 
Um, so the, it wasn't so much a letter page for the comic itself. It was the, well, I can't remember the abbreviation. It was the American Society of Paperboy, whatever. Like there was the, it was like people were writing letters to an organization. Yeah. Right. And then it started out as being an organization. Um, all the letters were kind of written in a way or dated in a way that felt like they were being written in the forties or fifties. Right. And as the book went on, they got more contemporary. So mm-hmm. it really felt like the letters were being written by either Brian K. Vaughan or someone else. They weren't actual letters of readers writing in. Instead, he was using that to draw sort of historical significance to the uh, idea of the paper delivery <laughs> uh, kids. You know what I mean? But there'd be little hints and be like, every once in a while, someone would write in a letter that seemed legitimate. And the, the person responding to it was out of sync, you know what I mean? Like somebody asked a contempor- question that referenced something in contemporary pop culture and the the responder and the letters page, like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause I'm, I'm in the fifties and I don't know, I don't know who Lizzo is. Like, if, you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> like, so it, it added that uh, such a unique take to the book, but then also he would do, Brian K. Vaughn would also have things where he would ask fans to cut out a page of the comic and mail it in and stuff. So, Oh yeah. You they know, do the Q and A for saga where you had to yeah. do that. Yeah. The reader so, surveys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's such an interesting thing, you know, to see comic book creators like Brian K. Vaughn still trying to really heavily push that idea of the letters page, because the, the Saga letters page, as far as I'm concerned, is like probably one of the most prolific letters pages in comics, because they take, you know, fan submissions of like cosplay, and they take submissions of, you know, these surveys right. and all sorts of other things, and like I said, Brian K. Vaughn is like, if you're going to do this, you got to mail it to my P.O. box, and he lists it in big, bold letters at the end of the issue, and I love that, <laughs> like he's he's really trying to push it. Um, and I know that other comic book creators that, that really want to build an audience um, or feel like they need to build an audience in order to make sure that the people stay on their book, um, they'll definitely be like, hey, you know, send a submission for what you think the back of this letters page should be. Um, like, for instance, you know, Rob Gilroy, he put out his book Farmhand. This is another series that I wrote into and my letter got printed. Uh, he was taking names for his uh, the name of the, the back matter. And of course, I didn't have any questions about the book or any questions for him, but I, you know, sent an email with a couple of different ideas and told him I'm much I love the book um, and how much I you know I appreciated that he was doing a book all on his own and all that stuff um, and again it's short little letters because the you know I wanted to make sure I didn't take up too much paper or space on the page and all that stuff mm-hmm. but um, it's it's cool to see that like I think a lot of independent books are really trying to make sure that they curate that community to make sure that you feel like you're engaged that you don't just have to you can't just or you don't have to jump on Twitter or jump on somewhere else where your your message may not be seen but instead it's going to an inbox somewhere where there's a chance that someone read it or at least skimmed it to put it in the back of their book um, which I think is really interesting and, and that's three quarters of it just making sure there's that fan interaction because mm-hmm. as far as I know when you send an email like that it's just a blind email you never get a response like a thanks for writing in it's just I'm going to send this thing into the void and fingers crossed it gets printed in the next issue of you know the weatherman or something like that yeah but also to to your point earlier where you said these are only letter pages are only in singles and not collected in trades. Uh, this is a way that creators can try to add value to the floppy singles format because yeah. so mm-hmm. many people want to read trades. But it's that whole weird paradox of the American comic book industry where your book needs to be picked up in singles form usually before being made into a trade. So you need to get that 
early core audience on board so you can at least get like six issues out so the publisher mm-hmm. will go with the collected version so a letters page is fulfilling that function of building community and also like helping people form an emotional attachment to the book so they hopefully keep buying it so that it can continue to live yeah yeah I mean, and there's a, there's also a bunch of stuff around the idea of, you know, back matter in general in a lot of these single issue books is what you should be, is like more of a reason for you to buy the single issues. Like, you know, I think we've talked about it a million times on the show, but like the back matter and all of the criminal books and all of the books that Sean Phillips and um, Ed Brubaker have been putting together over the last few years always have a ton of back matter that I'm pretty sure does not get collected into the trade. If it does, please, somebody out there, correct me and let me know. But um, as far as I know, none of that stuff gets collected, like the essays and the the beautiful little pages that uh, uh, Sean Phillips's son puts together for those pages, yeah. which I just... that That's half the reason to buy those single issues, just to see his art sometimes. But um, yeah, the, like all that back matter stuff is like more of a reason to push to buy um, the single issues. But I mean, it was in specific, when it comes to letter pages, the thing that I find most interesting is what letters get actually printed you know because obviously if you're getting you know a hundred emails or hundred yeah different messages about your book you know you can you only have so much page space so you have yeah. to really pick and choose which letters get printed which is why I've always found despite the kind of grossness that this book is savage dragon to be a very interesting book about this because mm-hmm. eric larson i've probably said this to a, a ton of different people but eric larson prints a lot of letters in the back of his book and his he prints these huge long letters that people will write him and then he'll give like a like a two sentence response to them <laughs> or and it's in like eight point font so that he can get the most out of his pages um yeah i just remember i at one point i was picking up savage dragon like years and years ago just because it was like oh a new 150 or whatever issue it was and i was like sure let's let's try this and i remember seeing those letters pages and it was just like holy shit how does anybody sit here and read this whole letters page it's (laughs) there's so much content on it it's bizarre but if that's your book like you're gonna sit down and read it you know that's true yeah Yeah, that's true or at least skim through with a magnifying glass to find your letter (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of going back to what i said earlier about with a letters page the creator can build a narrative and part of that is choosing which letters to highlight because if if they do have enough letters where they can curate a selection then those choices say something about what the creator wants people to consider when they're reading their book right or or your sex criminals and you just print everything and you print the (laughs) most wild fucking responses to every single letter that is both wholesome and in fucking sane at the same time somehow (laughs) because between matt and chip that book has some of the wildest letters pages you could ever read which is why i think they put together their individual or their separate book i think it was called um sex tips or something like that i mean i know i'm getting it wrong or just the tip just the tips (laughs) because they're they're dorks and i think it contained some of their responses and as well as other stuff that's actually like helpful in terms of healthy having a healthy sex life which i think is interesting but you know the back matter of sex criminals is full of a lot of jokes but also people writing in to say hey you know i'm a you know trans individual and the way you represented this person was actually really positive i'm glad that you did it that way and then matt will be like yeah yeah um i didn't want to fuck that up so i spent like three months working with a bunch of trans individuals to make sure that the way i wrote this character wasn't just tropey and shitty and i'm like you know i appreciate someone writing in to say thank you and then him going yeah i'm glad that you thought that because i really didn't want to misrepresent you um mm-hmm. and that because that book has a lot of things around it that 
could be misrepresented or could easily fall into a bunch of different tropes and stuff about people's sexuality and their, um, their various fetishes and all that stuff. And, you know, we can we can laugh about some of it, but like some people enjoy that and we shouldn't shame them for it. And I think that's what Matt and Chip want to do with their book is as much as there's some goofy stuff, by no means are they trying to point a finger and say, ha ha, you're weird. They're saying, look at this thing. And that's kind of the end of the story. And to hear them acknowledge it in the letters pages and to hear, you know, read people writing in saying, yes, thank you for doing that. I'm glad that you said that um, is, is always really great. Or there was the whole issue where people just wrote in and talked about porn they found in the woods. That's also <laughs> fun, too. I mean, the sex criminals letters pages are worth it for the price of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that, that speaks again to that, the, um, the function of letters columns being a sort of curated space as opposed to the you know the the wild uh tangled brush of social media where you, yeah. the creator can say like yeah i'm not just screaming into the void of twitter i'm actually kind of creating a sort of dialogue between you know the readers and and myself to kind mm-hmm. of foster some sort of uh you know debate or dialogue that's is uh, of a higher caliber than what you might find on social media you know so right in that right. regard i think it's and there's, I feel there are certain creators that really do that. I think Ed Brubaker does that because he's not on Twitter anymore. So that's the only really way he can contact, you know, readers is through the, his uh, essays and the letters page there. But what I love, actually, uh, again, going back to the history of letters columns, is whenever someone unearths an old letter that a creator or someone wrote to a comic, like, you know, every once in a while they'll pop up on, on um, social media. Someone will find the letters that George Railroad Martin wrote to uh, Stan and Jack. <laughs> Yeah, oh, in the yeah. back of the Fantastic Four issues and stuff. And I remember I was in my uh, floppy uh, issues of Doom Patrol that I have. There's a couple letters from a Jeff Johns from Michigan. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. You know what I mean? Like, it's just funny to oh, see man. that, like, the creators, you know, went through that same process and did write letters and they got into it through that, that you know, that interaction. Creators, yeah, oh, they're just like us. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, I I remember when I was a kid reading surprise Archie, but they had a letter from the editor column in the '90s in their digest and double digest, and I don't really remember the content of that page so much as I remember the header because it was like the most hilariously '90s caricature of the editor Victor Gorlick, and you just had like this wavy hair and these like cool shades and like the whole look would not have gone amiss on Doug and it was just like I have such a strong visual memory of this letters page because I was just like oh cool people can write in and um, always looking at the address and seeing that Archie was like literally right down the street from my house and being like maybe I should write in and I just like never never did but it was always nice to know like it's right there and look people do actually write from all over and isn't that pleasant yeah you know i think you know it being a part of comic book fandom it's always an interesting reminder to see um you know how how sort of i don't want to say small but how sort of like closely knit it is you know what i mean like totally totally in, in addition to you know letters comes we're talking about mike you mentioned you know the prevalence of uh conventions and different varieties of conventions like seeing just uh, everyone's kind of yeah there's not many comic book readers but everyone who's into it is pretty passionate about it so like small reflections of that like letters comes are always a uh, heartwarming for me to see yeah 
I, that was actually, I mean, I was going to ask this question, um, you know, it's kind of like the final thought on this episode was, have either of you ever written into a comic book? Because uh, I, I said that I have, you know, and I, I fortunately, I, I was printed. I've written into probably a dozen different books, but I was, I was printed twice. Have you guys written any letters to any of your favorite comics? I, uh, God, I can't, I won't be able to remember the issue number or in fact the year, but I did write a letter to, um... Uh, Radioactive Man, the Bongo comics. Remember the Simpsons oh, nice. comics in the 90s? So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They did a Radioactive Man series. I remember writing a letter to them. I even drew a picture of Radioactive Man on the envelope, which is a whole other issue. Like the, <laughs> you know, the envelope art that people used to do for letters. Like, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't even, I can't even tell you what I wrote, but I just, I remember it getting published and it was pretty exciting. So. That's awesome. Someone out there, scour those bongo comics somewhere um, on some pirate site and let us know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I don't think all those bongo books are like available in any digital format, which is yeah. kind of a bummer because um, there are some, you know, some gems out there from the, from the 90s that just never made it to digital. Or at least if they have, I, I'm not aware of it. I, those are the, that's the stuff I need to find in the dollar bin instead of this zero hour crap. I need to find some more Bongo comics. <laughs> yeah, <so>. exactly. Kara, <laughs> did you, I know you said you never wrote into that Archie book, but did you write in anything else like in your tenure of being a comic book reader? Oh God. Um, I am just the worst. Like I, I am that person who like won't go to a restaurant or buy a product without reading like all the product reviews and all that. And I really rely mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. these things and I love reading letters, columns and stuff, but I just, I just never put in the work to do my own. Like I've never That's okay. That's okay. like written a review for anything or write a letters page. And I'm just, I'm just the worst consumer. No, that's okay. I mean, nothing says you have to participate. I mean, I right. I mostly was just curious because, I mean, I'd love to hear if any listeners out there have written letters to folks. I know a lot of people that listen to our show, like, they're involved in comics in some way um, or they, you know, they write reviews or they, you know, are very, like, prevalent on Goodreads to do things. Um, but I'm curious to know if you've ever written into a comic um, and gotten either a response or gotten your letter printed. That would be really cool if you know the issue and stuff. I'd love to be able to check that out because I... I'm always, as always, I'm curious to know what people's relationship with comic books are, because to me, that is the most interesting side of comic books in a lot of ways when it comes to the people that are actually consuming them. Because as you said, Paul, it's like a very small, tight-knit group of people um, yeah. and that we're all very, very passionate. And to where that passion lies, like why are you really into The Flash instead of being really into you know, Superman or something like that? That's the kind of stuff I want to hear. So if you're writing into a book, you must really, really care about it. Um, I mean, yeah. in my case, I really, really loved Astounding Wolfman. I thought that was the most <laughs> fun book that you could read um, at the time. And then it, it, you know, it ended very abruptly. Uh, but still, it was that I wrote into that because I, I cared about it. I cared a lot about the book, the characters that Robert Kirkman was writing. Um, in that series and like the established universe that he was building independent of Marvel and DC Um, and this is before you know Valiant came around and they were like we've got this big shared universe Um, and before I really got into Hellboy with their shared universe it was like I was so interested and it felt like very personal to me that I was reading all the books and I knew all the stuff about all the characters at the time and I mean, to this day, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly what the letter was about. It was something about somebody could do some power with gravity. And I was like, what, why wouldn't they just do this thing in this one issue? Or in the future, do you see this person's power growing? Yada, yada, yada. I don't know. And Kirkman was like, hmm, maybe we'll see. 
<laughs> which it was really it was a very nice response like i don't think he was sarcastic by any means it was it was a very nice response but um, i was curious because i really really cared about it so i'd be i'd be really love to hear uh, from other people if they've ever written in and had their stuff printed or if you've participated in that saga thing i don't want to damage my books and rip out the back page of it so <laughs> right, right. I, I never submitted it to anything but maybe maybe next time i'll like photocopy the back page and send it in to be like i tried brian i tried <laughs> <laughs> not acceptable oh man originals um, only no facsimiles accepted <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly um well yeah i guess do you guys have any final thoughts about you know letters pages or do you think after this episode you'll maybe try to write into a book paul do you think you're going to write into the immortal hulk because i think that would be really cool <laughs> i you know i i feel shamed that i i admitted that i don't read letters i think maybe this is going to inspire me to maybe uh give them a, a closer peruse you know mm-hmm. at the end of the issue and it, yeah, Immortal Hulk is probably the one of the few books I feel passionate enough about right now to kind of write in to uh, Al Ewing and pick his brain. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Kara? I mean, any any final thoughts about comic book letters pages? Uh, I love them, but I don't see myself being an active participant in them. <laughs> like, I would have to be pretty moved to take the time to sit down. And I think all the time, like, maybe I should write in, but I just, I don't know. Like, it never occurs to me to have something to really say which mm-hmm. i know is ironic because i'm on a comic book podcast but it's like, i don't know yeah, it's like yeah. it's more personal if you're sitting down and taking the time to write something one-on-one absolutely uh, what yeah. we need is a letters page for the she-ra season three ending <laughs> i have um, so many thoughts <laughs> tweet me i look i look you know i'm very very excited to see your medium article about this i'm sure that will oh will come out or something but you know all that being said, you know, I, I thank you guys for being on the episode. Let's wrap up here. You can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Paul or Oh Hi Polly. You can follow Kara at Kara SZM. You can follow me at Mike Rapp. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast where we're on Twitter and on Instagram. And I try to post pretty regularly. It's it's a lot of fun stuff. If you've been watching She-Ra and you have thoughts, please, please, please tweet me. I really <laughs> yes. want to talk about it. Yes. Uh, you can subscribe on our Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. That's That sounds so desperate. We, we would love your support. Please. Thank you. Uh, join now for access to exclusive audio articles, previews of the IRCB schedule, early access to top of my pile posts, and more. Our Goodreads group is a lovely community of comic friends, and we have weekly threads. Check it out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. Speaking of ircbpodcast.com, that's the home base. We have links to every episode, show notes, our pronunciation guide for comic book creators. Our Discord server link is over there. You can buy zines, merch. It's your one-stop shop for everything IRCB. If you haven't already, please rate and review the show. Um, not to press you, but five stars would be a good rating, I think. Um, <laughs> on iTunes or whatever platform you use. Um, and if you do that, maybe we'll read your review on the next episode. Speaking of, I actually want to read one really quick that we just got. This Great. is from Mouth Dork. He said, perfect combo. Are you hungry for thoughtful conversation featuring a fresh perspective that doesn't fall into the same dull POV of so many comic book podcasts? We'll look no further. You found that voice. Sending much love from your friends at the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Thank you so much, Mouth Dork. I don't know who you are, but thank you for reviewing our show. That means so much to us. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So thank yeah. you. So you can do the same by reviewing us on iTunes. Um, you can also email the show with uh, your thoughts on letters, columns, stuff you've been reading. If you have any recipes for vegan chili, it's getting that season again. <laughs> uh, if you have any <laughs> comments, corrections, whatever, you can email us at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. 
Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. As I've said for the past couple of weeks, go check out their latest album. It is stupendous. Xander is a wizard. He's a great DM, high fiver, and hugger. He's also the editor of our show. He is amazing. I want to say thank you to Kara and Paul for being on the show, and thank you to the listeners out there. Thank you to Andre, who sent that very, very nice email that was so kind of you, really. Um, and thank you to everyone else who hangs out with us on the Discord server and has wild conversations about D&D and all sorts of things. So until next time, comics are good, and so are you.